Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to the Karma You podcast. This is your host, Chloe Brotheridge. I'm a coach, a hypnotherapist, and I'm the author of The Anxiety Solution and Brave New Girl. And this podcast is all about helping you to become your calmest, happiest, and most confident self. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today. I get to speak to the really very lovely and effervescent Amanda Byram, who is known as a TV presenter, but she is the author of the new book, The Switch, The Secret to Overcoming the Pressures of Perfection and Finding Health and Happiness. And I absolutely loved her book. It's really funny. It's really practical. There's sciencey bits in there for those science nerds amongst us. I really, really recommend it. And I love what she had to say on this podcast Amanda shares really openly about her own experiences in life and the things that have held her back for years and years and how she has made the switch in her own life. We talk about ending the battle with the voice in your head and I think you know which voice I'm talking about. We all have this inner critic that is beating us up and pointing out flaws and you know, squishing our ideas and so we really get into how to end that battle. We talk about Amanda's relationship with caffeine and alcohol, two things that are very much linked to our mood, our anxiety levels, our confidence even, and she shares how her relationship with this has changed and how yours can too. And we discuss getting off the perfection treadmill. So one thing I've been working on recently is something I'm really excited to get to share with you the Karma You Collective, which is kind of like a Netflix subscription, but for your mental well-being and happiness, something to help you to stay on track with your personal growth and give you a community who are on the same path as you to connect with and grow with together. And that is going to be launching and available to a limited number of people in November, towards the end of November, I think. I'm going to be opening it up to some founding members. And if you want to be the first to hear about this and join the waiting list, you can go to my website, www.karmayou.com and enter your email address. You'll see it there on the homepage. You can either get my anxiety toolkit or the confidence affirmations, and you'll also get news of when the Karma You Collective opens for enrollment. I also want to say that I'd love to see you on Instagram. I get lots of messages from people that listen to the podcast on Instagram and it honestly makes my day. Nothing makes me happier than knowing that people are benefiting from the podcast, especially at such a difficult time for the world. If you are listening, I know you are listening, thousands and thousands of you, um, but please do get in touch. I'd love to connect. I'd love to know how you are. Come and find me at Chloe Brotheridge. And I'm on there every day sharing my experiences and practical tools and things that I find helpful on the internet that I think you might find helpful too. So yeah, come and find me on Instagram. So yeah, let's get into the interview with Amanda Byram. Welcome, Amanda. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? It's my absolute pleasure. I'm really good, actually. I'm really well. And, you know, touch wood, I'm, I'm healthy and my family is healthy. It's an absolutely crazy time we're living in. Um, and I just think, you know, I've, I've, I've become even more grateful than I've ever been before to, to be standing upright and to be able to work from home and, you know, sending love and prayers to everyone who's not been able to do that. It's just been, it's been a really, it's been a really interesting time, I think, for everyone. Um, and I think, you know, just, I love the fact that humans have been able to evolve for many millions of years. And we're also now evolving again, because it's sort of in our DNA to evolve, isn't it? And to adapt and accept and to move on. So, 
I guess if we can take anything positive from this is that we're trying to to do the best we can with what we've got really you know I love that attitude I love that attitude with so much kind of negativity in the world right now sort of thinking about things in that perspective I think makes a big difference so thank you thank you for sharing that can you um where are you right now whereabouts are you in the UK or I'm at home I'm in my living room um I'm in southwest London so I'm in Fulham um I am Irish uh by by trade and uh and I suppose you know I've, I've been here for a very long time um it's interesting actually another thing that's come out of isolation and lockdown and and this whole situation for my husband and I he's from Hove down the southwest the south coast and we realized we don't need to be in London anymore you know London is great it's great for a nightlife and you know we're sort of getting to the point now where we're in bed by 10 o'clock anyway we don't really dine out or thinking about moving to Hove because we've realized that we don't really need to be in London and you know I think I think that the realization that we don't have to do something and we can actually do something that we really want to do has been quite empowering really so the move to the coast is very much imminent in fact I think we're moving at the end of October for a little while so we'll be back and forward to London for work bits and pieces but the mainstay is going to be by the ocean um his parents are there so that will be really really nice and um and I'm going to try sea dipping every every day. Come back to me by December and see yeah. if I'm still saying <laughs> Let that. us know what that's like. Let us know. I will. Well, I am actually doing, um, I'm doing cold showers every morning, which has been an eye-opener, to say the least. I am absolutely loving it. Um, I just, the, the cold sea dipping, I've done quite a bit of this summer, which was a really hot summer. So I can't say it's going to be that, that easy by the time we get there in October, November and December. But we'll see. We'll see. And the challenge is ahead of me. Amazing. Amazing. You do feel so good doing that. I, my very limited experience recently was being in Cornwall and just going in the sea every day. And it really does just set you up for the day and you feel so good. And it does. It gives you, I think it gives you a few things. So it gives you a massive shock <laughs> which is just it's that mental clarity that it gives you that split second of mental clarity and I find ever since I've been doing it I have felt a lot more alive in the morning which is you know a strange thing to say because it's the morning we should all feel alive and yes for the most part I do however you know I used to not feel alive until I had my first coffee now I'm you know ping and what I tend to try and do is when I'm when I'm in that moment and I'm in the shower I scream my gratitude and I think it's a really good way of sort of practicing your gratitude so I'll go ah thank you so much for hot water or oh I'm so glad of electricity or you know wi-fi hurrah and there's so many things you know and and breath and my body's ability to not die in this cold water so there's so many things that we can be grateful for tiny teeny little things and it's a really good place to do it because you sort of have to keep your mind active and doing something. So why not, right? You know, it's it's sort of combining two things. We're, we're extending our, our health span by taking cold showers and we're also expanding our, our gratitude practice. I just love that. Scream, scream your gratitude. Is that what you <laughs> <Yeah>. said? <laughs> scream it to the high heavens as loud as you can. I actually have this really weird thing that I, it's a mantra and I don't know where it came from. I'm a massive, massive believer in the universe. I absolutely love the universe and I, I love to envision the universe. And I also love unicorns, just the idea of unicorns, the idea that they don't exist, but they could do, you know, this is sort of mythical creature. And so I just screech universe and unicorns, universe and unicorns for the first few seconds that I get in. And weirdly, it calms me down. (laughs) And then I go on to my gratitude part. But um, I think if you can have some kind of mantra that makes you feel good, then yeah, that's a really good way of trying to get your mind off the fact that you're in ice cold water. (laughs) That's brilliant. I think doing something like that, that you can just change your state and, and just change your energy. Um, it's perfect for the morning. I think probably most people wake up not really feeling alive first thing in the morning and most people do still kind of, yeah, rely on that coffee. So I definitely think your yeah. work and your amazing book, um, I'm just going to show Thank a picture you. of people that are watching the video. The Switch is has come at a perfect time. I think it's absolutely brilliant. It's really funny. It's really relatable. It's almost like you could just have that on your coffee table. It's so beautiful and um, dip in and out of it or read it in one go. I'm sure many people have. Um, 
could you share a bit about, you know, what it is that you do and how you came to write the book? Well, so, um, gosh, thank you, first of all, for all those lovely compliments. Uh, part of the book is actually, you know, I talk about uh, the mindset and switching the narrative and how we've all we've all learned to uh, reject compliments very easily. We squat them off kind of like, you know, with lightning fast reaction. And so, you know, to say thank you very much. That's very kind of you, Chloe. I really appreciate that as sort of a part of my growth and, and trying to switch that narrative. So, um, yes, well, it's it's interesting because I, I suppose you would say I am a TV presenter by trade. Um, that's what I do for the guts of my living. I started out in Ireland as a model, a fashion model. And then I, I quickly moved on to breakfast television. So the first TV show I ever did was a show called Ireland AM. It was Ireland's first morning show. And then I moved on to an English breakfast show called The Big Breakfast, which some of your slightly older generation uh, viewers and listeners will remember. Um, and uh, then I sort of moved to America, I guess. Yeah, that was my progression. I went and I did a few reality shows out there, one called Paradise Hotel. It was the, the original Love Island and one called The Swan, which was sort of like an extreme makeover, crazy, crazy show. And then I moved back to the UK and I did shows like Total Wipeout um, and I'm now hosting a, food, uh, a show called Food Unwrapped on Channel 4, which is a passion of mine, obviously, because I love everything to do with nutrition and the body and food. Um, but what I will say to that is just something really interesting, because I've learned to, to reject labels and definitions. And I think that's a really important thing. And I talk about this quite a lot in the book, is that, you know, I am a TV host, I am an author, I am a PT, I am a nutritionist, you know, I am all of those things. I'm just not one of them, which which I think is really, really a great little tip for people who, you know, on a daily basis feel like they're boxed into one thing. Um, even, even I am a mother or I am childless or I am a wife or I'm a daughter, all of those things, these labels and definitions, you know, I think it, it's, it's key because they can be quite destructive. Um, so I, I like to call it the C of life and you know I, I sort of as I was branching out into doing other things initially I got really worried because I thought people are going to think I'm not a tv presenter anymore they're going to think I'm a, a personal trainer now and oh, what am I going to do and I'm never going to get chosen to do a tv show again because they think I'm into fitness and health or I'm an author now they're, they're, they're you know I'm not going to do anything else but that and I slowly realized that, isn't it great that we can do whatever we want at any stage? It's the CV of life. So, um, so yeah, I think that's just an, an interesting little sort of mindset that I, I, I've come to, to believe in. And I think it's great. It's a really positive thought process. Um, and so, yeah, in that uh, is author, I guess, now, first book, which is really exciting. And um, I wrote a book called The Switch, which we've, you've just touched on. And the reason I wrote it was because I struggled for very, very many decades, for almost three decades with body image issues. And, you know, the, the need to be perfect, the need to, to be the perfect daughter and sister and partner and career woman and the strongest, you know, I say in the book, you know, we want to be Angelina in the nursery, J-Lo in the boardroom, um, Oprah in the boardroom, J-Lo in the gym and, and Nigella in the kitchen. You know, we just want to be the perfect, the perfect everything. And to boot, we want to have the perfect physique and we don't want any help from anyone and we can do this. And yes, we are strong. You know, we're humans are, are incredible and women and men alike are wonderful. We just don't need to try and be the best at everything because that's really destructive as well. Um, so for me, I had three decades of body image issues. Um, I was always struggling with, with my weight, even though to the naked eye, literally, pardon the pun, I was in great shape. I was a size eight to 10, um, you know, but that just wasn't reflective of what was going on inside my mind. And it started, I think, when I was about 15. And there was, you know, I talk about a mental switch that sort of refers to the moment in time where once and for all, I sort of went back to that original switch that switched when I was about 15. And that sort of spiraled into my body image issues. It was a friend who who commented on a little bit of fat poking out of my cycling shorts. And it was also the time of the supermodel era. And it was also the time of yo-yo diets and the Atkins diet and quick fix diets. And, you know, the media was very much pushing you lose seven pounds in seven seconds. So all of this combined sort of piled on top of me, I think then created my, my, my long and very destructive 
relationship with my body and with food more interestingly because that's what's really important we have to get that back so my switch moment um you know it starts with a single moment of realization and that then is followed by sort of a series of actions to make that switch to to a healthier healthier happier you and and that switch moment is personal to each and every one of us you know it could be completely different for everyone so my mental switch flicking um you know, I promised myself at that moment, I was approaching my 40th birthday. Um, I knew I needed to make a change because I was just exhausted. I was exhausted mentally and physically and emotionally. I'd been making bad dietary decisions. I was striving for perfection, you know, that need to please. I was unkind to myself, my body, and I just was exhausted. And I thought, effort, I'm done. I, I, don't, I don't want to turn 50 or 60 or 70 and still be like this and still be this exhausted. Um, so what I always say to women is, you know, that switch moment can be any time that you choose it. Your time is now. If you want your switch moment to be now, if you're ready for that, then it's now. Um, and there's there's no bad time to make the switch. You know, you, you could be in your 20s and you could sort of be burning the candle at both ends or you could be in your 30s um, sort of juggling a career and a party lifestyle and, and maybe having kids or you could be in your 40s and have you know elderly parents and kids on one it, it could come at absolutely any stage and, and and that moment I believe is is up to you to make it um, so yeah I also talk about the fact that you know while it took me 30 long years of making them as those mistakes you can be any age when you make the switch and I really wish I'd had the information that I then went on to learn which is why I was able to make the switch the education about food and the body and the mind and I wish I'd had that at 15 or 16 or 17 and now we're we're really in danger because we've got social media and and all of the young girls and boys and they're listening to all of these negative comments and the lack of likes and all of these things that really don't matter at all and they feel like they matter and and so it's really it's about education it's about understanding you know, it's about understanding food. It's about understanding the way our mind works. It's about understanding the external voices, which I'm sure we'll get to, um, and the internal voices and how to really switch those things. So once my switch had flipped, you know, I, I really had to do the work to replace those old habits with the new ones that I was learning and sort of switch my brain back to sane, so to speak. And I, first thing I did was I educated myself about the science uh, of how our bodies work and, you know, why retraining the brain to kind of understand that relationship between brain and body that's so important. Um, and then I learned how to eat well, exercise well, and, you know, sort of respect the body that I'd, I'd been so unkind to. And, and I realized that you don't have to do ugly things to your body to, to be happy and, you know, to, to have a beautiful mind mind and body. Um, and then I think, you know, ultimately I, I learned to love myself internally because that is the key, you know, unless you can love yourself internally, nothing else matters. It doesn't matter whether you're a zero or a size 40, it doesn't matter. You have to be happy with within. Um, and so, yes, that was sort of um, the long version of, of why I wrote the book and how I wrote the book and what the book is about. <laughs> That's brilliant. That's brilliant. And I think um, there's so much in there that um, addresses, you know, all these different areas of our lives. And it's and you just give really practical little switches that we can make to, to change things and feel so much better. And um, yeah, I love that idea as well of actually we can decide when we make that that switch. We don't have to be like, I don't know, rock bottom or something like that. Actually, just educating ourselves and making that decision and being proactive. We can we can Absolutely. do that for ourselves. Absolutely. And I think it's really key as well. And, and, and you, you sort of tipped on that. That's that's why I thought it was really important to put the switch tips in, because actually, I like I say, I spent almost three decades making all these mistakes, assimilating them and remaking the same mistakes again and again and again. And, you know, finally I learned and I learned the hard way. And so what I wanted to do was rather than preach to people, look, don't do this, do that, because no one responds well to being preached to. We don't want to be told what to do or how, how to live our lives. And I certainly didn't want that either. And that's why it took me so long. And so what I wanted to do was just sort of give, give everyone the information and say, look, if you want this information, here it is. I'm handing it to you on a platter. Do with it what you will. I'm not telling you you have to do it. Just when, when your switch moment comes and when you're ready, you can digest it then and then you can move forward and make those steps if that's what you really want to do. One thing you mentioned there was about um, the kind of 
inner voices, kind of voice in our heads. And I think when I speak to people, that is the thing that comes up probably more than anything as being something that holds us back or drags us down or causes problems is kind of inner critic. Um, ah, yes. What was your experience of, of this? And, <laughs> and can you share a little bit about what, what may have helped you and what you think can help others? Absolutely. Yeah, I talk a lot about it in the book and I'm, I'm delighted that you talk about it as well, because ultimately, you know, we can call it one of very many things. Uh, some people call it the shadow. Some people call it mental chatter. Some people call it the ego, inner voice, uh, mental intercom. Um, you know, it, it's it's whatever you want to call it. It's it's the voice within that has has replaced the positive voices that we grew up with. So if you think about when you're a young child, you know, what, what do you hear? You hear your parents, your aunts, your uncles, the people around you saying, oh, Chloe, you're wonderful. You're brilliant. You sing so well. Even if you don't, you claim down the slide the best, even if you fell off it. You know, you're the best dancer in the world, even if you can't put two footsteps together. You know, you walk the best, even though you might have fallen right over. You poo-pooed the best. Everything is the best, the best, the best, right? <laughs> so we start off with these gorgeous championing voices all around us. It's all we know it's all we're used to then as we get older we start to listen to the external voices a little bit more so we're in school and maybe someone is bullying you or you know nowadays it's social media so maybe now you're not getting likes or someone's making a trolly comment then we get into our late teens and our 20s and we're going to work and then we're not coming up to scratch at work and we've got you know those sort of office negative vibes or someone saying that you're not good enough or you haven't hit that target or you know your, your budget didn't come in right then we get into our 30s and you know serious relationships and you know maybe someone is telling us we're not good enough all of a sudden those really brilliant championing voices that are on this side are starting to get drowned out by the negative ones on this side and we're starting to really believe these negative ones because that critical voice I mean mine I say in the book you know she was bitch supreme and and I couldn't silence her because that voice was actually me and you know you don't realize it and some people say you know do, do you mean you talk to yourself well no of course not we all have thousands 70,000 plus thoughts a day and a lot of them are going to be ourselves, talking to ourselves, setting these impossibly high standards and in every aspect of our, of our being. And so then we find ourselves in our late 30s going, I need to read a self-help book. I need to do something about this. This is crazy. And really what we have to do is from a very early age, we should be drowning out those negative voices or being taught to drown those negative voices out. Because, you know, like I say, mine is, I, I call her uh, Mississippi. And I don't know if you remember Rainbow growing up, the, the kids TV show. Um, so Mississippi uh, is, I, I, I basically call her out. So I call my voice out. So rather than have this voice and sort of go, oh, these negative voices and I listen to them and then, you know, reject compliments or I tell myself I'm stupid or, oh, I can't believe I did that. I'm such an idiot. I'm so clumsy. I'm such a bad person. I'm such a bad friend. I'm such a bad wife. These are the thoughts, the negative voices that, that are constant. You know, you sort of call it out and go, oh, hey, voice. Hey, mental chatter. Hey, Mississippi. I see you. And you shine a spotlight on that voice. So one of the big tips I have is to, to visualize this voice as a thing, as a person, as a puppet. Personally, I think that works for me because it means I've got my hand stuck up her backside and I can just as easily shut her up. And so that for me is the key is that you have to call it out, see it for what it is. And rather than listen to these internal voices, go, no, I'm not stupid. I'm not clumsy. Maybe I had a fall today. Maybe I should have done something that I thought I, I, I should is such a, a, a negative word anyway. We're all doing our best all the time. So I think that's the key. It's really, really important to just listen to the good voices, listen to yourself, you know, you know, those, those silly voices in our heads that we just don't recognize our brilliance on a day-to-day -day basis and we are absolutely brilliant so you know rather than focus on the failures or focus on the things we think we should do we have to just get life's positive moments because they go unnoticed and we have to champion ourselves you know look in yourself in the mirror and go you're awesome you are one fabulous boxy fortuitous and in the book i say the f word i won't say that on the podcast because it's not very ladylike <laughs> um so yeah there's just really great tips and then if you can't do any of those 
I say the, the, the sort of the quickest and the simplest tip is to, to do a breathing uh, interrupt. So a, a pattern interrupt, which is, you know, you, you, it's 16 seconds. So you breathe in for eight and you breathe, breathe out for eight and you hold your breath in the middle. And then that's a pattern interrupt. So your mind sort of stops itself from thinking these negative things. Um, and just be vigilant, you know, don't listen to the voices because, because they are you and, and you can just as easily unlisten to them, so to speak. Mm, that's really powerful. Yeah. I love that. of having a pattern interrupt because we can get ourselves spiraling sometimes in negative thoughts or beating ourselves up about things, sort of interrupting it and then um, turning the, the critical voice into a thing so we can actually take a step Absolutely. back and we realize actually it's not necessarily true what, what it's saying. We can create a bit of space and a bit of distance there. Absolutely. And, and I think if you, if you give it a funny visual, so that's why I, mine is Mississippi, you know, because it's the most ludicrous looking puppet ever. It's this sort of spaceship head. It's got a zip on it. It pops like that. And so when I <laughs> had those, you know, I very rarely have them anymore because I, I, I learned how to drown out those voices. And, and genuinely, when I, when I had those, those visuals of this thing going, you're an idiot, I would go, oh, well, that's hilarious. So I'm clearly not an idiot. You are. <laughs> And I know it may sound crazy. And I know that, that, that I've spoken to a lot of women who I say, just look at yourself in the mirror, stare at yourself, stare at yourself in the eye and go, you're wonderful. You're brilliant. You're fantastic. You've achieved so much. You will achieve so much. You're just, you're just an awesome creature. You're a wonderful human. And if that doesn't work, and you still find yourself being really, really down on yourself and really unkind and cruel to yourself, take a photograph of yourself when you were three years of age, three or four, whatever you can find, and look at that photograph. Now close your eyes and imagine yourself hugging that little girl. Just hug her because she is you. She literally is you. It's just you've grown up a little bit. It's the same brain. It's the same eyes. It's the same skin. You're just a bigger version of that child, but she's you. And apologize. I think it's really powerful to say sorry to yourself. And if you can't look in the mirror and do that, then take yourself out of body and, and apologize to the three-year-old you because she's so innocent. She didn't deserve these nasty voices. She's being championed right now by her awesome parents who, who, or her siblings or her, those people around her saying her poo-poo's the best. All of a sudden, she's being told she's, she's a piece of crap. So there are definitely really, really subtle tricks that we can use. And I think it's really important to just believe in ourselves because otherwise we can't expect other people to believe in us if we don't believe in ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's amazing, isn't it? How we, it's so easy for us to be kind to other people or we could be kind to a child and that comes so naturally to us. And yet it's like, we can't give that to ourselves. So Absolutely. I really like that, I, that kind of shifting of perspective and um, getting a little photo of our three-year-old self that's, it will that's make really you cry try it it actually made the first time I did it I bawled my eyes out yeah I literally did I was like oh, I'm so sorry and uh yeah it's a really powerful tool and, and yet such a simple one yeah and I wanted to sort of I guess this segues into my next kind of thing I wanted to talk to you about which is perfection and uh, I, I've, I've often noticed a lot of people say to me I don't think I'm a f- perfectionist because I've got a really messy desk and you know my handwriting is terrible but actually I think perfectionism can show up in different ways and I know you you call it the perfection treadmill can you can you tell us about what what you mean by that I do and I call it the perfection treadmill because if you run on that thing for long enough it's going to exhaust you and you're going to fall off no matter what I talk about the perfection horizon um I have a little sort of kind of a, a scene that I set in the book where you're on this beautiful unicorn lilo because unicorns don't exist remember and you're floating into the sunset and it's the horizon and you can see it and it's there and it's incredible and just you're on your lilo and it's so lovely and it's perfect and then you realize oh I've been paddling for quite some time and my lilo's losing a bit of steam now I can't really find myself getting there and what's going on before you know it, there's a few sharks around. You're thinking, oh crap, I really need to get back before this lilo bursts and I'm done for. And that, you know, for me, we are, we, 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 as women in particular, men too, but women in particular, find that we, we want to be the most perfect versions of ourselves. You know, we strive every day. 
we want to be the best at everything. We want to be the best daughter, the best partner, the best sister, the best friend, the strongest women. Like I said earlier about JLo in the gym and, and Angelina in, in, the, in the nursery. You know, and we also want to be the least needy, right? We want to be, we don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to show our vulnerable side. And yeah. we just want to show everyone how perfect we are. And, and I think we're driven towards this so desperately that we do drive ourselves to exhaustion. That's the, the, the perfection treadmill for me. That's how I visualize it. It's just for me, it's just, I want to get off, just press stop already. Um, and so I think until we realize that perfect doesn't exist, we're just, our hunger for this perfection is just going to keep on pursuing and pursuing until we realize that, you know, it's, it doesn't exist. It just doesn't. Um, and look, we, I don't think we are to blame for this because we're surrounded by images of perfection all the time. You know, magazines are, uh, portray this image of perfection with airbrushing. Um, you know, if you think about the perfect life that we learn about in Disney movies when we're kids, the princess, she gets swiped off her feet by the knight in shining armor and, and she lives happily ever after. That is, that's an ideal of perfection. It doesn't exist. We all know that. Anyone who's in, in a, a committed relationship knows that there's no such thing as perfect. You don't ride off into the sunset. You know, your night's not in shining armor 24-7. We do have disagreements and arguments and things that we, we sort of would like to change. And that's okay. And I used to always call myself a perfectionist. You know, I used to dine out on the fact that, oh, no, 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 I'm a perfectionist or I'm a control freak. I'm a high achiever. And I used to say things like I have OCD tendencies. You know, these are really, really big words to throw around. And we do that quite a lot. You know, I've got an A-time personality. I'm just a real achiever. And, you know, these, they're, they're quite dangerous monikers because actually I did quite a lot of research into perfectionism. Um, and in the book, I talk about the multidimensional perfectionism scale. Um, and there are three types of perfectionists. So there's the self-oriented perfectionists. Now, these are people who sort of strive uh, for, for perfection in their personal lives. So they'll set themselves really high standards and high goals. So, you know, I want to get that guy or I want to get that job or I want to get an A in this test. And the problem is with this kind of perfectionism is that when they fail within a relationship or within the job, then they can feel depression and anxiety and very, very highly self-critical of themselves. The other type of perfectionist is, is an other-oriented perfectionist. Now, this, uh, by the way, I've suffered from all three of these forms of perfection. And, and uh, your listeners may, may pick out some of these traits that they might uh, resonate with, or all, as in my case. Um, so other-oriented, they believe that everyone around them should be perfect, right? So they sort of set unrealistic high standards for everyone else. Let's take, for example, the Uber driver, okay? You're in an Uber, you've paid him your money or you're about to, and he's taking you the long way around. He's getting lost and you're seething and you're thinking, oh my God, this guy had one job to do. He had one job. That is his job. It's all he had to do. When you get out of the car and you tell your friends, this guy, he didn't know where he was going. Well, actually, did he really just have one job to do? The guy could have been on his second job of the day or, you know, he could have been through a divorce that week or he could have lost someone we just don't know what's going on with other people you know and, I, and in, even in let's say in my job so I have I'm surrounded by script writers by producers by directors by co-hosts and I know that I go in and I do my job to the best of my ability and I've been in jobs where I didn't think the script was up to scratch or I didn't think the production was up to scratch or the sound guy didn't key me up properly and I, for a long time, would get really annoyed and irate, not to them, to their face, but I would let it really affect me. And I'd kind of, I suppose the energy does sort of seep out of us and, and I'd be kind of a bit irate and, oh, can I just write this bit of the script, please? Or can I, look, I'll just do the earpiece myself or whatever it might be. And again, that, you know, when others don't meet our expectations, then that kind of perfectionism can really affect us in social, social surrounding and it's quite dangerous. And then the third, and I believe which is the most dangerous in this day and age because it is directly, I believe, linked to social media, socially prescribed perfectionists. So a socially prescribed perfectionist will believe that others, so let's say a, a parent or their child even or a boss, 
or social media or the following of social media, expect them to be perfect. So they will then set these really high standards and seek that approval from these external voices. And when that approval doesn't come, I mean, sometimes you could find yourself in a situation where you have a parent who's never going to uh, think you're the best. A parent that even though you think they should, they've got their own stuff going on and they're never going to give you the approval that you so desperately seek. And so consequently, your, your self-esteem is going to take a hit on a daily basis. Look at social media. Do, really? Uh, is everyone always going to love you? I don't think so. And so then what happens? You, you, you set yourself these expectations that you're going to come crashing down. So the perfection treadmill is a, it's, it's, and you know, like I say, it's called the multidimensional perfectionism scale. And I think that's for a reason because it is way deep. There's so many layers to this. And it sort of forms the construct of the core of the book, even without knowing it as I was writing it. It's when I came across this, I realized that perfectionism is a huge issue. Mm, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. It's really interesting to hear it described like that in those three three ways that it can kind of show up for us. Yeah. And um, yeah, I guess it comes down, I, I don't know, I can't remember where I read this. Um, you know, per- perfectionism isn't just having high standards. It's, it's feeling that nothing is ever good enough or we're never good enough. And so I think that is such a, almost like a universal thing that we have as human beings of kind of not feeling good enough. It's hard to meet someone who doesn't have that or hasn't experienced that in some area of their life or in, in some, at some time. So yeah, it's, it's such a universal thing, I think. Absolutely. And, and it's sort of been, it's been drip fed into us, like I say, from an early age or from these external voices or from the internal voices. And for whatever reason, we just seem to keep on wanting to strive for this thing that doesn't exist. And just how exhausting is that, right? How exhausting is it to always try to be the best of everything? And so for me, when I made my switch, it was a part of very many things that I switched. And that was one of them. I realized I couldn't be everything and and I didn't want to be anymore because I started to enjoy being vulnerable. You know, when I met my husband, uh, you know, the one I ended up marrying, not the one I canceled the wedding to, (laughs) which I do talk about in the book because that's a whole other story. Um, I realized that actually expectations are also really destructive. You know, we have this really bad habit of, of, expecting so much of ourselves and of others that let's take um, an example I talk about in the book where you know these this perfect couple a perceived perfect couple and they're both wonderful and he's picking her up from the airport really really early in the morning he's expecting her to walk off the plane like you know Brigitte Bardot and smelling of roses she's expecting him to be standing there with a bunch of roses and sort of do the dirty dancing you know the 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 swing in the air as as he sees her And of course, he's outside waiting because it's early. He doesn't want to get a ticket. She's exhausted and she's got her hair in a top knot. And there's this sort of like, well, why weren't you inside? And and why didn't he have roses? And why, you know, why is she looking like that? And, And all of a sudden, this sort of expectation just ruins a perfectly beautiful moment. And, you know, I I get people always saying to me, well, you know, he didn't send me flowers on Valentine's Day. So what? The expectation is there. So release yourself of all expectations, of of expectations across the board. And I think then that becomes fundamentally helpful. Once you release yourself, it's a relief of expectation. And that really helps with perfectionism as well. Mm, Yeah, that's so good to remember. Thank you. I wanted to ask you about, I suppose we talked a little bit about the inner work and I wanted to ask you about the kind of external things um, particularly two substances which are part of lots of people's everyday lives, um, caffeine and alcohol. Um, can you share a bit about what's, what's your relationship with those things now and how has that changed over, over the years? Wow. Well, these are two really big, big parts of my life, um, in particular alcohol that I talk about very much so in the book. Um, in the book, I talk about the groan syndrome. Um, and the groan syndrome is when uh, someone says to me, oh, um, tell me about alcohol. Is it good for me? Is it bad for me? Can I drink? And I said, well, actually, here are the physiological effects. Actually, it's not that great for you. It uh, affects your, potentially affects fertility. It affects um, your mental clarity. It can affect your skin. Um, it can affect your mood. And all I hear is, ah. 
And that's the groan. The groan is when you say to someone, can you cut back on alcohol for a couple of weeks and see how you feel? And I was the biggest groaner in the world. Honestly, I loved booze. I loved being the party girl. You know, I'm Irish, so it's kind of part of our culture to enjoy alcohol on a weekend. Um, You know, I was always the last girl on the bar partying, you know, let's do a shot. And I loved the drunk Amanda and everyone loved the drunk Amanda as well. And so for me, I decided to do um, a dry January the year I turned 40. And I remember very, very vividly. And I really loved it. I thought, oh, this is great. I had a few scripts to learn and I was really I was retaining a lot more information And when I was having conversations with people, I was really having that eye contact. And that was really quite different because I would go out and I'd be talking to someone and rather than sort of be looking around for the bar or looking for that crutch or I feel a little bit nervous. Now, I'm not going to lie. The first the first time I went out without alcohol was was really hard. That is, you know, without a shadow of a doubt. Then I decided to do a dry February, March, April, May, June, turned 40 in the June and thought, I'll go out, I'll have some parties and I'll, you know, have some drinks. And that was great. And then I decided to go again until the December when I went to an engagement party and I got so drunk that I puked all over my bedroom floor. And I remember I was single at the time and I remember looking down at the floor going, you're such an idiot, you're such a failure, all of these horrible, nasty, negative voices. And it was the next day that I thought, you know what? I don't need to speak to myself like that. I don't need that sort of hangover that I'm going through right now. I'm going to try and give up. So now I don't say that I'm a teetotal. I don't say that I don't drink because I very rarely, but when I want to, I will have a drink. I just find that the the side effect of not drinking for me is so overwhelmingly powerful that for me, it makes sense not to drink. So what I do in the book is rather than say, look, these are the reasons you shouldn't drink, so stop now. I go into the why, right? I'll, I'll explain this is what alcohol does to you. This is, this is the, the after effects, the side effects. You know, this is potentially why you're feeling, you know, that you have extra uh, flab around your belly or that you're feeling really depressed on a Monday. You know, we, we I sort of talk about it as the tinnitus of life. So when you drink alcohol, the effects of alcohol stay in your system for about five days afterwards. So I've been drinking since I was 19. And if you think about every single weekend since I was 19, that's a whole lot of weekends. And that's a lot of five day periods in between where you don't really fully recover from the alcohol sort of tinnitus of that that huzz, that, that, that fuzz in the background. So when you think about that, actually when you do go sober for a little bit, the clarity is sort of really, it's incredible. So I always really urge people to try it. And, you know, I know that a lot of people will say to me, oh, I just couldn't, I couldn't possibly give up alcohol. Well, actually you can, you just don't want to. You, you don't want to be the party pooper. You know, you don't feel like you want to be, you want to be the cool kid, right? You want to be the one who's sort of having the best time and the best friend to everyone. But the newsflash is that the, you can be all of those things without alcohol. You don't need alcohol to do those. We've just been pre-programmed into thinking that we can. And also something that's really interesting is that alcohol is allergic. We can be allergic to it both physically and emotionally. And physically means if you drink enough alcohol and you throw up, which is pretty much probably 99.9% of us, and emotionally allergic is if we uh, are down and blue, have the fear, the darks, the guilts, whatever you want to call it on a Monday or a Sunday. Mm. And that's emotionally allergic. And so I was emotionally and physically allergic to alcohol. And I just thought, why am I bothering with this? You know, it just, I, and, and once I learned how to have a good time without it, that for me then was sort of, it was a re- it was a huge switch moment. It was a real aha light bulb moment for me. And so, yeah, now, now I know I can go out and have a shot of tequila or a bottle of wine if I want to, but my body sort of doesn't really want it anymore. It just kind of goes, mm, I could take it or leave it. And trust me, this is coming from someone who loved alcohol and who thought that without alcohol, I would probably just, I might as well just get in a hole in the ground and die. Um, so that's my, my alcohol experience. Um, and then caffeine is another one. It's interesting because, look, I, like I say, I started out on, on a morning show, Ireland AM, and then I went on to the big breakfast. So 
you know, I would have about nine coffees before one o'clock in the afternoon. And so I was a proper caffeine addict and had been for a very, very long time. I still love caffeine. I'm not going to lie. I love a cup of coffee. So what I've tried to do is I've tried to make that one cup of coffee a day really powerful. Uh, I make it really strong. I savor every second of it. I sometimes if I'm going out in the in the, the days when we could go to coffee shops and, and relax, you know, I would go to a different coffee shop or I would sort of try out different coffees everywhere and make it an occasion. Um, and look, don't get me wrong. I, I'm not saying that, that coffee is bad for you. Not at all. Actually, it is quite good for you in small amounts, you know, but like everything, it's like the same way a glass of wine has slight antioxidant benefits. A whole bottle is going to put your system out of whack. So one coffee is great, maybe two, anything more than that. You know, it's a stimulant. It, it messes with your, your cortisol levels, your adrenal glands, your insulin levels. Um, I talk about a story in the book. If anyone's reading it, it's a fun story about a saber-toothed tiger and your adrenal glands going into overdrive when you see this tiger. Um, and so then, you know, then it's sort of the fight or flight thing happens and then cortisol gets released and then the insulin kicks in and then you have the crash. Um, and that's when you go for a second coffee or a third or a fourth. And so I tell people that, you know, if you're in this cycle where you're having coffee to wake you up and then you're crashing and then you're having more caffeine to wake you up again, then that could potentially lead to adrenal fatigue, which I know a lot of people have heard about. It's sort of a buzz, buzz phrase. Um, and that is if you have difficulty waking up in the morning, if you have extreme exhaustion, if you have digestive issues, um, if you're finding stress really hard to handle, um, your weaker immune system, so you're getting colds and coughs and flus, God forbid, anything else more easily, um, or you have this constant craving for caffeinated drinks, albeit Coke or coffee or, or you know, Red Bull or whatever. They are all signs of adrenal fatigue, and so that's something to be really, really mindful of. So whilst I love my coffee, I just, I have to, to, I have to be careful with it, and I have to sort of take a step back and switch it out for things like matcha or green tea or, you know, um, barley cup, which is non-caffeinated. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a slippery slope, um, one that I've been on on many an occasion. <laughs> um, I just think, again, it's, it's really when you get that natural energy back and don't wake up and feel the need for that coffee, that's a wonderful feeling. You just sold it to me completely. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you described it because you, you, the way you describe it, it's just like, it's kind of like a no-brainer. It's like, why would I, why would I want to be getting drunk all the time or having loads yeah. of coffee and without depriving ourselves, without saying, right, I'm never going to drink coffee again. Actually, I'm going to savour it. I'm going to enjoy it. It's going to treat it as something to really savour. Um, I love that. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Now let's yeah. go for a drink and a coffee. Yes, Hurrah! to celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for everything that you've shared. It's been so oh, it's my helpful. Pleasure. So helpful. And I do love that story in, that you mentioned just there in the book about the tiger and the adrenaline. It's very, very funny. So people have to buy the book to, to yeah. read that. I mean, coffee's not quite as dangerous as a saber-toothed tiger, but you know... <laughs> <laughs> it does have the same effect on your on your hormonal system interestingly yes. so it's yeah. uh, once you sort of understand that then then that kind of makes you go oh you think twice about that third coffee or the fourth or the fifth um yeah I think that's it it's about it's about just education about the body and the mind and things that happen on a physiological effect and trying to make them fun because you know uh, the first draft of my book was really sciencey and I had to go back and rewrite it and go ah you know, of course, I've learned the science, but, you know, people don't want to hear the science. You want to hear the little stories and make it easier to understand. And that's that's what's really important. Mm, definitely. Definitely. Thank you so much. Um, where can people follow you and what, what else are you up to and where can they buy your book? Oh, my thing. gosh. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting. Um, the book is available at all good bookstores. Um, I believe it's available on Amazon um, at Waterstones Online. Um, it's available in Ireland from Dubray and Eason's and the Book Depository Worldwide, although I don't know that they ship worldwide because I haven't done my worldwide deal yet. Um, but that's hopefully coming soon. Um, and I'm on Instagram. I tend, interestingly, so that's something we didn't touch on a lot with social media. Um, I try to stay away from Twitter because I don't find it a very positive experience. Yes. Um, Instagram can have its moments um, and I definitely try to 
encourage people not to look at their phones after a certain time in the evening, put it in a different room, sleep with it in a different room. Um, that's a whole other podcast we could totally get into. I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, so yes, the answer is I am on Instagram at Amanda Byram. And, you know, and I do DM, people DM me all the time with, with, with questions and with issues that they have. And I like to coach people through it. And my husband always says, have you read the chapter in your book about staying off social media? Because <laughs> I, I end up then just getting, getting sort of into really deep conversations, which I do enjoy. Um, so yeah, Instagram's a, it's, it's a funny old place. It, uh, it needs to be used wisely and very, very carefully. Um, and once you do that, then I think it's okay. And, and what am I up to? Well, I'm sort of really enjoying the moment because I used to be that person who would live goal to goal and job to job and check the box and done next, let's look forward without championing the successes of the previous, you know, uh, goal or achievement. And it's something that I've really learned to do is just go, let's take a moment. You're an author. Okay, let's pat ourselves on the back. Go you. Let's just enjoy this. And then whatever happens next, happens next. And just sort of live in the now, really. So, um, yeah, it's all very exciting. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Yeah, sorry, that's always the annoying thing that people do. Like once you've just launched this big project, people are like, what are you doing next? So, oh, yeah, and you, absolutely. Yeah, no, and, and it's sort of a natural question, isn't it? And, and as, as a, a TV presenter and, and interviewer, it's the first question I ask. It's always the one I round off with as well. And it's only really, I suppose, since I've done a lot of self-introspection and, and sort of taking that breath and taking that moment that I realized, ah, maybe I shall not do anything next. Maybe I shall just sit still with this. Sounds good. <laughs> so yeah, thank you so yeah. much. Thank you so much. That's been absolutely brilliant. Oh, it's a pleasure to talk to you. You have been listening to the Karma You podcast with me, Chloe Brotheridge. Don't forget, you can download loads of freebies for anxiety and confidence at my website, karmayou.com. You can also find out about my app and my one-on-one sessions. Please do subscribe to this podcast in the Apple Podcast app. And if you have enjoyed it or found it helpful, please leave me a review. It makes a massive difference to helping the podcast get discovered by other people. And come on over and find me on Instagram. I'm hanging out there every day. You can find me at Chloe Brotheridge. Let me know what you thought of this episode. And please do share it with anyone who might need to hear this today. So I'm sending you loads of love and I hope you have a brilliant week ahead. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.